Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome, everyone. Episode 552 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and we were planning to start our division previews today. It is officially September training camp and media days only a couple weeks away. We are still going to do that, but in, in a very fortunate series of circumstances, I was planning to start with the Central Division today. Lo and behold, there is a very shiny new member of the Central Division. That is Donovan Mitchell who was traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers on Thursday. So we are going to get into that trade, and then we'll preview the rest of the Central Division ahead of the 22-23 season. Before we get into that, a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We're being hosted by Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today is not my usual co-host, Morton Jensen. Uh, I'm sure he is very sad that he cannot talk about Laurie Markman on the Utah Jazz for 15 minutes. Instead, we have a longtime friend of the show, Ty Windish. He is a host of the Eurostep Podcast Network. Ty, how are you, my man? I'm doing great. You know, just when I thought we had officially reached the sleepy season of the NBA <laughs> offseason. And listen, Giannis is playing in, in Eurobasket, so uh, it's not been that sleepy for, you know, Bucks fans, um, Mavs fans, Nuggets fans, a lot of people really lucky able to watch these these great players over there. But NBA-wise, I was like, well, maybe we'll get the Jordan Warren news soon. That'll be my big excitement. <laughs> kind of forgot about the Donovan Mitchell thing. I have not been as plugged into trade rumors. Just after KD fizzled out, I was like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll see it. I'll see it when it happens. But I, I thought it was a really captivating Donovan Mitchell trade. The Knicks one, I was like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. We all been talking about it. The Cavs sneaking in there and doing it, I think, is fascinating. So I've been thinking about this for basically a full day now. I'm really excited to talk about the Cavaliers, plus the other teams here in the Central, including my Bucks. But I'm doing great. Anytime I get to hop on a pod with you, Brian, and talk NBA, I'm doing great. Well, we love to hear that. And before we get into this Mitchell stuff, uh, could you let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and anything you'd like to promote? Yes, on Twitter at Ty Windish, T-I-W-I-N-D-I-S-C-H. And I've got, we've got two Bucks podcasts. And if you like any other sports, Brewers, Packers, and a pop culture podcast at the Eurostep Podcast Network, you can find links to all of that wherever you listen to pods at gspn.info. So real concise, if you want to check out my work and the work of some of our other folks there at gspn, gspn.info has all the links you could need. 
Nice. Well, please check them out. They're doing great work over there. And the Bucks, especially, are going to be relevant this year. Maybe for those with a fantasy football draft coming up, you can get some hot Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon takes on the, the Packers pods as well. So, uh, yeah. So, Ty, I sent you an outline yesterday with a couple questions for each team that I wanted to go into. Uh, I included one for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I sent this, uh, you know, like noonish uh, yesterday. That it's all just we have to throw out the entire thing out like it it just all got blown to hell. One of the questions was how do you see the Colin Sexton situation resolving? We we now have an answer to that. Um, so the Cavs swoop in. You know the Knicks uh, last or on Monday um, set this arbitrary deadline for like we're either going to make this Mitchell trade or we're going to extend R.J. Barrett. They didn't trade for Mitchell. They extended R.J. Barrett, and it was like, okay, well, we're, you know, back to square one with Mitchell Talks. But, yeah, I mean, it felt like, you know, the last two months, the drumbeat has just been Mitchell is going to be a Nick. They just need to figure out the terms. Then Woj, just out of freaking nowhere, I'm having, like, a relatively quiet day at work for once. Then Woj at 3 o'clock is just like, oh, by the way, Donovan Mitchell's a Cleveland Cavalier. So the Cavs traded unprotected. 25, 27, 29 picks. Pick swaps, I believe, in 26 and 28 as well. They also included Sexton, who got a four-year, $72 million fully guaranteed deal from the Jazz in a sign-in trade. Uh, they get Laurie Markkinen, and then they got uh, Ochai Abaji, who is their lottery pick uh, from this past draft as well. And, of course, the Cavs get Donovan Mitchell. Uh, so, Ty, what did you think of this deal from Cleveland side? Yeah, I, I like it. I generally like when I think teams with real, real solid young players, more than solid, right? Like Mobley rules. Darius Garland is clearly very good. And, and they've got, um, you know, wow, why am I blanking? Jared Allen, um, who's not as young as the other two guys, but certainly a young pillar for them. Um, and and a very a very capable player. So I generally like when these teams, you know, make a move like this to acquire, you know, a guy who's seen consensus as a young star. I I do have one hesitation for the Cavs though, and I think this is this is going to sound very stupid to sixty percent of people, and and maybe logical to forty percent of people. This trade to me is entirely going to hinge on what we see out of Colin Sexton for the next four years. Because if I think there's a universe where they're not that far apart, Donovan yeah. Mitchell and Colin Sexton. And if they are, and Sexton doesn't have to be better, if they're relatively close, I think you're the Cavs, you look back and you go, we gave up basically the war chest. I mean, they have stuff, yeah. but you're, you're not going to trade Mobley. You're not going to trade Garland. Those are your guys. You know, you have Isaac Okoro. I don't know what the value is like on Isaac Okoro, right? Like, Sal Markkinen, I think, is salary a fine player, not a huge asset. But Sexton, like, if you could have just signed the player who's similarly close to what you're getting from Mitchell and kept all the picks, and Agbaji, their first, who, interesting to me, the Jazz took both of, you know, when they got the package from the Timberwolves and the Cavs, mm -hmm. they got their, the players just drafted as well as all the picks, which is kind of a, you know, still a long view they're taking, but not as long to get some promising rookies too. Like top 20 picks, I think Walker Custer yeah. was around there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, that's what all what it hinges on to me is, you know, are the Cavs better right now? Probably, you know, I think Mitchell right now is better than Sexton and, and has dealt with less injuries, but you know, we just have to see. I'm personally, I'm pretty high on Colin Sexton. I think 
I don't know if I would have done this trade. I'm really close. I'm also really close on if this package or the Knicks package is better. I know mm-hmm. like half the people laughed at the Jazz for not taking the Knicks package. Again, I think that's really just how high are you on RJ versus Sexton. I am high on Sexton. I think what he's able to do at his age is really impressive. You know, clearly needs to develop some important skills that don't just usually develop overnight, whether it's becoming a better defender or a better playmaker. But I think you could say similar things about Mitchell as well. And that's why I'm a little torn. I like when a team goes all in. I like when a team tries to build in the now and worry about the assets later. My hang-up is really just what if Sexton does end up being relatively close to Mitchell? You gave up mm-hmm. a whole lot to make that upgrade then. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I forget who, after this trade came out, I want to say it was Matt more of the Action Network, and if it was someone else, I apologize for misattributing it to you. But someone tweeted out their their numbers like through three years of their career um, or maybe it was just their their third year stats, and they were like surprisingly similar. So it's a really good point. Like the, you know, we we didn't see much of Sexton last year, obviously, um, and you know, coming off of the meniscus injury, like there are questions about what he looks like moving forward. You know, what's his best role? Like, did he fit next to Garland long term, or like is he better off? as like a super sub type thing. Um, but, you know, Donovan Mitchell is not that much like Sexton is listed as 6'1", 190. Uh, you know, Mitchell is not that much bigger. He's 6'1", 215. So he's got got more weight on his frame, but same height. So you have, you know, some of the potential concerns that, you know, like Damon CJ ran into or even Donovan and Mike Conley with this small backcourt moving forward. Um, it sounds like the Cavs hope, you know, Mitchell has a ridiculous wingspan. So they think that's going to help, but it definitely requires him to buy in more on defense than he did in Utah, where he was often a turnstile, especially in these last couple of years. Um, the Cavs do have the defensive personnel in Mobley and Allen to help clean up some of those mistakes. But, you know, the Jazz also had, Rudy effing Gobert, like a three-time defensive player of the year. So it's not is this, like... Is this Cleveland betting if Mitchell doesn't hate the defensive players that maybe they try <laughs> right. more on defense? Like, is that... That seems like the bet. The other thing, I think, yeah, I think it's like a six-inch wingspan difference, 6'6 six, six on Sexton. I think at least... This is not a reputable source, but on first Google, it says 6'10". So not six inches, but four inches. Uh, but the longer wingspan for Mitchell. It is also, I think, worth noting Sexton is two years and like four months younger. Colin Sexton mm-hmm. is not 24 until January, whereas Mitchell turns 26 uh, next week, actually. So um, not, not that Donovan Mitchell is old by any means. I mean, 26, right. not like he's, you know, 31 with this young core. But it is interesting to me that he is a couple years older than Sexton. They have, you know, obviously Sexton just doesn't have anything in the playoffs to show because he did get injured the one year the Cavs were, were close since he's been there. But Mitchell obviously has had those high-profile playoff moments, and that means something that he's able to do that at that level. I mean, I'll always remember seeing him play against that Thunder team and really kind of tear apart Paul George, who is an yeah. all-world-level wing defender. You know, that that's proven at that stage, and that really counts for something. It is, it's just going to be fascinating to me. I really think this is going to come down to those two guys, but I, I you can't fault the, the Cavs, I think, for trying too much. Can't fault mm-hmm. the Jazz for getting a ton of assets for for a core that was a great team, but never really, I think, 
you could say they, they were a contender, but they never really looked that much like it in the playoffs for too long. Yeah, I, I honestly like the trade for both sides. Uh, you know, the Jazz, like, it was clear that when you trade Gobert, like, you don't go halfway in here. Like, you have to trade Mitchell. And, you know, you brought up, like, the Cavs package versus the Knicks package, which could have included R.J. Barrett, Quentin Grimes, a bunch of picks. Like, I, you know, I've seen some chatter. Um, I think Jake Fisher was the one who reported yesterday that the most the Knicks were willing to offer was two unprotected first. The Jazz wanted three, which they got from Cleveland. You know, project out, and you probably want Knicks picks over Cavs picks, given the age of these guys. But at the same time, you know, these picks are far enough out, like 27, 28, 29. As much as we look at their ages and we think, oh, yeah, well, they're going to be good for the next seven years. Like, what about the NBA in the past couple years in particular tells us we have any way to project out that far for any team? Like, it is just, you know, I, I think this is a smart gamble for Utah. And maybe they just didn't, you know, weren't in love with R.J. Barrett or maybe like him as a prospect. But, you know, they're so far, they're starting from square one right now like RJ Barrett just got the extension going into the last year of his rookie deal. Like maybe they did not want to commit to RJ Barrett as a pillar of their rebuild. And now, as you mentioned, they have Agbaji, they have Walker Kessler guys on four-year rookie contracts. Sexton's now locked up on a four-year deal. Markinen I think has three more years left. So, you know, you can see what you have in these guys, Sexton in particular, like if he's not a long-term piece of the puzzle on that contract should be pretty movable if he bounces back to anything like his previous self. Um, so I like it for both sides, but from Cleveland's perspective, like, you know, I, I get the argument that the they were more in position to go all in than the Knicks were. Like if the Knicks make this type of a move, does it really get them anywhere closer to like legitimate title contention? Sure. A little bit, but not, you know, I wouldn't put them in a tier with, Boston and Milwaukee and Philly and, you know, we'll see about Brooklyn, Miami, Toronto, even uh, Cleveland. I mean, I don't know. The the big question I have out of this trade, you know, you've got one and two spots set with Garland and Mitchell. You've got Mobley now in front court set. That is a big gamble on Isaac Okoro. Yeah, that's, that's been their big question for ever, ever since LeBron left, right? Is can they yeah. ever get a true three? I mean, there's, they flirted with Jetty Osmond as that guy. I think really it's just been proven by now, just more of a bench player, not not really a guy you can start at the three. Okoro developing, I still, you know, if Okoro, it's it's true for literally every G League player, not saying he's a G League player, but if he's like two inches taller, you'd feel so yeah. much better about him. What is he, like 6'4 or so? And it's just like, he's, he's a great defender. He's a ball hawk, you know. Offensively, could do a little bit more. I, I think there's so much talk about his corner threes. But him being able to do a little more on the ball, I think, would be great as well. Like, you really have to be, like, there's not many players who can live in the league doing what P.J. Tucker does. It's such a unique yeah. skill set and excelling so much at everything except offense that you can get away with that. And Okoros may already be a better corner shooter than P.J. Tucker at this point in his career. But you usually just need to do a little bit more than defend and then stand in the corners on, on most teams. So be fascinating to see how he develops the one last note on like Barrett versus Sexton, you made the point about trading. 
I mean, Sexton is like 18 million a year, I think, on this contract, yeah. four years, 72 million. RJ Barrett, four years, 120 million. So if, if you're the Jazz and you're going, we're not sold on either of these guys, but we think we could probably flip them. It's a lot easier to find someone who can give you 18 million in tradable salary and assets than it is 30 mm-hmm. million generally. But clearly, I think, you know, whether it's one pick or two picks difference, the Jazz must not be overwhelmingly high on R.J. Barrett if he was on the table, which I did not expect him to be on the table. That did fascinate me because, you know, I think there's a lot of differing opinions on players like R.J. Barrett who have pedigree and have shown some things, but not everything. Uh, Clearly, the Jazz do not look at him as a guy they can build around. I don't think they do Sexton really either. I think they're just kind of this amorphous blob of a roster, but uh, it'll be interesting. But yeah, the Cavs, I mean, it's all about, as it has been for five years, can the Cavs get a three? And it's maybe Agbashi, and then he's traded. But, um, you know, and they won't have that many picks going forward. So this is going to be, you know, I think we could probably pencil them in now, right, for using whatever MLE they have the next five years. Probably just keep (laughs) taking shots at that wing position because they need more than one, but they definitely need one. Right. Yeah, I know. It, like, it's a shame LeBron signed that extension because otherwise he could have come back home next summer on the MLE. The, the, like, the one pick that Cleveland has for the next seven years is that 2024 pick. So they still could have taken Bronny. Uh, but no, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, you've got those four guys and then coming off the bench, or maybe Levert starts, but like, I think he'd be best off, you know, as a super sub. But like, you can have a second unit. With Ricky Rubio, Lavert, Kevin Love, Robin Lopez, like that's pretty good. It's just like you really, if any one of Okoro, uh, Chetty, Dean Wade, Dylan Windler, like any of these guys, they just need to find someone who sticks in that spot. And they don't need those guys to do much offensively. It's just stand in the corner, knock down threes, play good defense. Like you've got enough usage with Garland and Mitchell in the backcourt. And then Mobley is going to take more and more uh, offense as he, you know, gets more comfortable and acclimated to the NBA as well. So it's, yeah, you're right. It's just like, can they find someone in that Danny green PJ Tucker mold? That's going to probably determine whether this team is a legitimate contender or just like really fun, frisky team. But you know, when you have to go against, a Tatum and Brown in particular, like I, I still don't know how this team matches up against or even a Kevin Durant, like Mobley can take one of those guys. And I think he will. And I think that's what makes this experiment different than Utah. Like, you know, I'm not saying Jarrett Allen is a Rudy Gobert esque defender, but they're going to play similar roles defensively. But then Cleveland also has this, just defensive unicorn in Mobley, a seven footer who moves like a guard can actually cover out to the perimeter, like already one of the best switching big men in the NBA, which is absurd to say for someone who just finished his rookie year. But, you know, can Okoro be that other guy that when Mobley's off the floor, we need just someone to play good wing defense. That's, it's going to be fascinating to see. Um, before we move on from Cleveland, Ty, where do you now have them in the hierarchy of Eastern Conference teams? I still do not think they are in that top tier, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, four all-star caliber players sounds like I'm shortchanging them. But I do think their four all-star caliber players are not 
starting All-Star. And whatever happened at the All-Star game last year is kind of a mess. A lot of players out. It was in Cleveland. You know, I don't think they have any of the best, I don't know, three to five players in the conference, right, which is typically pretty mm -hmm. important to being in that top tier. You look at the other teams people have up there, Milwaukee with Giannis, the Sixers with Embiid, obviously the, the Celtics who just won the East with Tatum, uh, and then wherever you want to put the Nets, as you said, or, yeah. or even a guy like Jimmy Butler, who I still, right. I think I give Jimmy Butler a slight edge over any, any one player on the Cavs. I may yeah. have the Cavs higher than the Heat now, and that is where I had them kind of near the top of that second tier in the East. I do think it is Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, pretty clearly at the top for me. And then after that, you know, I think like the Cavs, the Heat, the, the rest of the teams, I'm probably forgetting to say someone right now. Like I don't have the Bulls. I have them higher than the Bulls now, I'll say, mm -hmm. um, which I think the Bulls had such a great start to the season and, and injuries really did impact them a little bit um, out of their control, of course. But I think the Cavs, you could say the same thing, right? I mean, the Cavs, yeah. whether it's Sexton or, or Rubio, and they're going to be without Rubio for a bit this year. Uh, Allen struggled with injuries. I think they lost Mobley for a while. So health will be a big deal with them. But, you know, I think they clearly have the talent, and we've seen Donovan Mitchell be on some really good teams. And, yeah, it's a good point, you know, hand-wringing about the value of the trade aside. They're set up to be a really fun team, and this is already more one more at least defensive impact player than Mitchell has ever had around him just in Mobley yeah. and Allen I mean you know we if we can go through the Jazz roster Royce O'Neal is a fine player he's not an Evan Mobley kind of player on defense they, they were never able to really find that I think so um, it'll be fascinating to watch I think Garland could very well have a 50-40-90 season being able mm -hmm. to play off ball more and not carry he was carrying a tunnel load dealing with some injuries himself his back and just kind of playing through it. I think this will be really good for him, too, to be more of not a combo guard. I think that's almost seen as a negative, but being able to play off ball more, not do everything with the ball in his hands. I think he's fit to split the, the ball handling duties for sure. So, yeah, I think they're going to be near the top of that second tier, maybe at the top of that second tier. You know, playoffs are different, but I could certainly see them finishing like well ahead of Brooklyn and Miami in the regular season if they're healthy because they have these mm -hmm. young guys who are not going to be afraid to play a lot of minutes and they have a lot of talent even if they don't have a ton of talent at the wing position. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you there. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And that's actually a good way to seg into our other teams in the Central Division. Let's start with the Bulls. And I'm sorry that Mort is not here to defend them, but... Uh, this a, ta a few of us got into a discussion yesterday about the Bulls' a place in the East, and then you know that was before this Cavs trade happened. 
Um, but you know, I'm with you now in thinking the Cavs are above the Bulls. Uh, let's start with DeMar DeRozan, who had arguably a career year last season with Chicago. Do you expect him to have a similar impact or what happens if he does fall back to earth a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think you would hope with Levine being there and locked up now that they would still be able to be a, a, a solid offensive team. My big concern with Chicago is really, you know, I, I think the DeRozan not being as good is, I don't want to say narrative, it's a fair talking point because he was mm-hmm. so good. I mean, how many game winners, right? Like there's, yeah. I think generally all clutch stats are very noisy just because by definition it's such a small sample. And DeRozan hitting all those game winners, hitting just so electric from the mid-range. I still think he's going to be a great mid-range shooter, which he always has been. I don't know if he's going to be as good. My concern with them is, like, he takes a tick back. You know, maybe some other guys on that team are able to stay healthy or play better. The Lonzo thing is so concerning to me. You know, it's great. It seems like Caruso is going to be ready to go. That's huge for their defense. I'm more worried about their spacing than their defense because I think that's how, you know, Milwaukee was able to do this by the end of the series to an extent in the playoffs. They lost everyone in that series, though, including Levine. But, like, it's it can be so hard for DeRozan and Levine to a lesser extent if there's just no space around them. And, you know, mm-hmm. Vucevic, I think, is a guy, teams, he's a good shooter. Some teams will let him shoot, some won't. But that's, you know, one player and that's your center and you're taking away some rim pressure if he's not around the basket at all. They just don't have enough shooting. So guys like Patrick Williams, I think are going to have to step up if Lonzo can't get healthy. I mean, I think I hated the Pelicans letting him go. I thought he would fit great on any team, including the Pelicans. Did Mm -hmm. fit great on the Bulls. This injury stuff, though, is really concerning. It seems like we have not had a positive Lonzo ball update in (laughs) like a year. They're all negative. I don't understand what's going on. And I think they need they need him to get right or to find somebody else who can do some of the spacing, defense, and moving the ball a bit as a tertiary option like Lonzo. So that's my concern with them is just do they have enough spacing around Levine and DeRozan because I think their defense was great last year. Don't know how much of that will hold up. It depends, I think. But mm-hmm. I, I think spacing-wise, I'm concerned they didn't find a way to really bring in any shooting this offseason. Yeah, I mean, Lonzo was by far their best shooter last year, 42.3% on 7.4 attempts per game. Levine was almost at 39% on 7.1 attempts per game. But other than that, you know, DeRozan, low volume, 35%. Vooch had a horrible shooting season at 314 So, you know, hopefully you can bake in, like, if there's negative regression for DeRozan, hopefully there's positive regression for uh, Vooch, who, you know, the year before shot a career high 40% from three, but that's looking more like an outlier, um, you know, because he, he was 33.9 the year before that. Um, Caruso was only 33.3%. Kobe White, interesting, 38.5 or 5.8 attempts per game. We'll see, you know, Io Desunmu, maybe he gets a little more volume and maybe he's part of the answer for uh, if Alonzo isn't healthy, but you know those those four guard lineups, or if you want to, whatever you want to call DeRozan, but like the Caruso, Ball, Levine, DeRozan lineups cooked last year when all four were healthy. It's just we didn't get to see them uh, a ton. 
the other big X factor for Chicago is Patrick Williams, who played only 17 games last season. So, you know, we just, he's still very much a mystery box, but you know, this guy was the number four overall pick two years ago. So there are still very high expectations for him. I know, you know, some Bulls fans are like absolutely untouchable unless we're getting like a Kevin Durant in return and others are like, are we sure? Like, what what is his ceiling? Like, is Harrison Barnes his ceiling? Should we be willing to include him for a Harrison Barnes? So what are your expectations for Williams going into year three? And do you think he can help balance out some of these concerns about the Bulls? The fascinating thing to me about the Bulls is they're kind of a team stuck in two timelines. And that's why, and I think ultimately what they do with Patrick Williams will determine how high they are on the older timeline. Levine's kind of in between both, but probably closer to the older, quite honestly, at this point, given you know how long he's been in the league, how many miles, how many injuries. But you know the DeRozan-Vucevic core, essentially, is obviously mm-hmm. what's propelling them right now. More DeRozan than Vuce at this point, or DeRozan than Vuce at this point. But that those are you know players in their 30s, right, who are vets in this league, who you know probably are not going to be playing at a high level by the time guys like Patrick Williams and Tassoon Mu and the rest are in their primes. And they have like this younger group that's more the guys like, you know, Kobe White, who I don't, I don't know what Kobe White's future is going to look like on, on the Bulls, <laughs> quite honestly. But, you know, those those kind of players. Lonzo is, you know, not, not that old still, although it feels like he's been around for so long. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Patrick Williams. So, you know, I, I personally think they're probably smart to And last year, I think it was a more compelling case to trading Patrick Williams, although it was harder to do because of his injuries. But, you know, if you're looking at this and you're you're really looking at the rest of the conference and the Bulls, and you're looking at we could trade Patrick Williams, we could get Harrison Barnes, who would be a great fit on this roster because, you know, you're having DeRozan play the four. You probably don't have that many great players to put there at the four. It's Patrick Williams. And Javante Green, I thought, had a nice season, but probably should not be a starter like he had to for them. Yeah. do you really think, though, if your your lineup is, let's just say, ignore Lonzo for now, if it's like Caruso, Levine, DeRozan, Harrison Barnes, Nikola Vucevic, are you getting past Milwaukee or Philly or Boston? Not to mention, are you getting past Miami? Are you getting past Cleveland? Maybe you have a better shot probably right now, depending on what we see out of Patrick Williams. But I think it's probably smarter for the Bulls to continue drafting. They picked up Dale and Terry, who's an interesting player in the draft this year, mm-hmm. and see how you know, see what Kobe White becomes. I think there's still a, a fairly wide range of outcomes there. Same with Tasunmu, who I think impressed right away as, as a rookie and as a young player. And then see, can you get Lonzo healthy? What does Patrick Williams develop? And I think it's probably good for those guys to do that on winning teams, which the Bulls have built uh, with DeRozan and Levine and Vucevic. But, you know, personally, I'm not super high on Patrick Williams, but I still would not trade him for a player like a Harrison Barnes, as good as I think Harrison Barnes is, just mm-hmm. because that feels to me like, you know, you're robbing a future that could be very promising for a present that to me just does not look like a team that's going to be able to win the East right now. And again, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, they're wasting their time competing because they won't win the East. I think it's great the Bulls are winning games and trying to win games, but yeah. I think you need to be rational and say, you know, we can't give up all of our young pieces to go all in for two years of DeRozan Vucevic. Like, I think that would be short-sighted. Right, right. I mean, like, what's the ceiling of, you know, if you swap Williams for a non, like, top 20, top 25 player, 
especially in the wake of this Cleveland deal, like how far would you vault the Bulls up the Eastern Conference hierarchy when, you know, you look at some of the teams up there and like Boston should be there for a while. Um, but, you know, Milwaukee, like as, Gian- as long as Giannis is there, they're going to be great. But like Drew and Middleton are getting on the older side. Brooke Lopez is on the older side. He's heading in the last year of his deal. Philly, James Harden is 33. Miami, Kyle Lowry's 36 or 37. Jimmy Butler's past his 30s. So like there's a win, you know, there are so many teams in win now mode right now, but there might be a window like a year, two years, three years from now where you know, Cleveland is, should be in that mix at least for the next couple of years. But like there could be that window for the Bulls to strike then. So I, I'm with you in thinking let's see what you have in Patrick Williams. Cause I don't know that he has, you know, like I, I don't know what his trade value is at this point, but I don't think he is so desired around the league that you could get, you know, he could, he could be the headliner for a top 25 guy, unless you're including multiple picks, which the bulls have already traded away a number of picks for the guys that they brought in. Um, do you think they did, you know, you mentioned Dale and Terry, uh, who they drafted. They also signed Andre Drummond, who was a great backup center for Philly last year and, you know, can be a spot starter like he was in Brooklyn. So if anything happens to Vucevic, it's a good value for, I think it was like a $3.3 million deal or something like that. They also signed Goran Dragic, but, you know, given the upgrades with around the rest of the teams, Boston bringing in Brogdon and Gallinari, uh, the Sixers bringing in Tucker and Melton and House, uh, Cleveland, obviously, they just did. Do you think the Bulls did enough this offseason to, you know, stick around in that top tier of the East? I honestly don't. Um, I, I think they're firmly a second tier team now. And even you look at like Brooklyn and we'll see if, if they, they could still blow up before the yeah. season starts. Right? We have no idea. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there you look at, at what they quote unquote added. And if you look at the team that we last saw from them, Katie and Kyrie and the role players, Mm-hmm. There's so many ifs with Brooklyn, and we don't can't go too deep because this is not the Atlantic Division pod. But they could be bringing back Joe Harris, Ben yep. Simmons, and Royce O'Neal, which it's and like TJ Warren too, and TJ Warren, who again just entire mystery like mystery box for right. all of those guys for different reasons. But even if they get like the good version of two of those guys, that's them adding more to me than what the Bulls added. And I guess yeah. if you count Lonzo coming back, if he's able to, that would rival that. But, you know, I think there's a lot of teams that either were already far enough ahead, like Milwaukee, I don't think made any big, like, huge additions. We'll talk about the guys they did bring in. But, you mm-hmm. know, keeping all of their role players, you know, two years after they win the title, one year after, you know, they hang in there with Boston for seven games. And you mentioned, I mean, even a team like Toronto, who, you know, it yeah. just added Otto Porter, who's a good player, right? Fine. But, keep like all the development for their young players and keeping those guys together. Um, I think Toronto is going to be Toronto is going to be probably better now too. So it's kind of a tough spot for the bulls who, as you mentioned, don't have that many of their future picks, but weren't able again, I think kind of like the Cavs, a team that could really use some more true wing players and is really going to need a lot from, you know, the young players, these, this next couple seasons 
just so they have enough depth. So it's it's interesting. I would have liked to see them add some more proven shooting, but Patrick Williams, you know, shot a really high clip on low a low sample size last year. I, I guess they're really you know, expect a lot from him, which can be dangerous to expect that much of a young player. But if he steps up, I think they could probably surprise us. Yeah. And I, it, you know, it, this isn't a slight against the Bulls. It's more a testament to what the rest of the East did. Even Atlanta yeah. bringing in DeJounte Murray this offseason. Um, you know, like, I, I hear the argument that, you know, for half the season before these injuries piled up, the Bulls were the number one seed in the East last year. I think you know, part of that was Boston got off to a horrendous start. Milwaukee was kind of cruising after the title. and uh, No Philly Lopez had the, for most of the year, too. Yeah, and then Philly had the Ben Simmons stuff. So, like, I don't know if that's replicable this season regardless, even without the Lonzo health concerns. But, you know, big picture, you now look at the, the Eastern Conference landscape, and, you know, there are going to be some legitimately good teams in the play-in mix. Like, there's yep. only six guaranteed playoff spots between Boston, Brooklyn, Toronto, Philly, Chicago, uh, Cleveland, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Miami. Three of yep. those teams, by nature, are not going to have a guaranteed playoff spot heading into the play-in tournament. So, it for me, it's just like trying to figure out, okay, which which of those teams are the Bulls definitively better than? Like, I don't think I have them above Philly, Boston, Milwaukee. I don't have them above Cleveland anymore. Um, Miami, maybe. We'll see what happens there. Miami, Miami's the tough one. I, I think we may actually be falling asleep on Miami now because they've been so boring. and didn't yeah. really, Again, they retained <laughs> Caleb Martin. That's really about all they yeah. did. And, of course, the big through the parade and convinced Udonis Haslam to come back. Thank God right, they, they right. allocated enough personnel <laughs> to make him make that decision. Um, but I still think, you know, I, I, they'll, they'll be good. They're, they're going to yeah. win games. They're going to be good. And if Lowry's healthier, maybe they'll even be a, a little sneaky good. But, yeah, I think, I think them and the Bulls, I find it hard to pick who I think will be better next regular season. Yeah, and then Brooklyn, you say, I mean, they are such a wild card, but, like, in their range of outcomes is – you know, potentially number one seed in the East. Like they have an absurdly high ceiling for a team that we just have no grasp on at the moment. So also they were in first for a while, or at least near first in the East last season too. I feel like that's only brought up with the bulls, but I just pulled up a random, like they, when they beat the Sixers December 16th, they were 21 and eight. KD was an yeah. MVP candidate and they didn't have most of their guys, all their guys healthy. Well, healthy Kyrie <laughs> Kyrie but right yeah I think you know the East is is loaded and I think it may, can make you a little nervy as a fan of one of these teams but from a pure basketball perspective we're in store for like I think a really awesome regular season and playoffs because there's just a lot of teams who are more than respectable like you said good teams and that's that's yeah. good for the league yeah Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let's pivot to a couple teams that are not going into this season with playoff aspirations. Uh, and then we will wrap it up with your bucks. Let's start with the Detroit Pistons, who are now in year two of the Cade Cunningham era. They added some major reinforcements this offseason in the form of number five pick Jaden Ivey and then Jalen Duran uh, in a trade with the Hornets and Knicks. So going into year two of Cade, what are your expectations for him? I think really high. Um, the funny thing, not funny, I guess, I I just think that 2021 draft was absurdly loaded. And yeah. not just like, you know, some drafts, it's like you could tell there's like four or five guys like, oh, they're going to be special players. This draft is insane because the three guys near the top, are we're already like, oh, they are special players. And I think yeah. Cade, Cade maybe is the most underrated out of the Cade, Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley group, because I think it took him a little longer. Also, he just had less around him, which makes it dif- more difficult generally to look special. But by the end of the season was still like when you have a 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, kind of wing player who can dribble, who can you know play make like he can, get to the basket, score, a s- rebound. I mean, 17, five and a half, five and a half as a rookie. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like a really impressive array of stats. Obviously, wasn't a great shooter and efficiency-wise, but again, playing on the Pistons, who I think are doing a great job building long-term. Although they make some, they make every every one out of every three Pistons decisions. I go, I don't know what the hell Troy Weaver <laughs> is thinking with this one, but he <laughs> sure. ends up right more than I do. Like right, like he is, I think, the kind of executive who is willing to say, we don't care about consensus. We like this player. So we'll get this player, um, yeah. which is, which, you know, I think is, is it's, he's an effective executive. They have Cade. I think they have a great young core. So I expect him probably hit that 20 point per game mark. If, if some of their rookies and young players come along, I don't think he's going to be able to do enough to make this Pistons team a playoff contender, not in, not in this East, but mm-hmm. I mean, could they hang around 10, 11, maybe, Maybe I think it's possible. I don't think it's likely, um, but I, I think Kate will take another another step ahead, score a little better. The big thing I'm probably going to look for is just the shooting efficiency, and if he can, especially from three, if he can raise that up. But I think it's a good sign. You know, he was taking threes, five point seven per game, just not making them. You know, if you're a young player, knock some of the rust off, get used to playing in the NBA, and shooting eighty four point five percent from free throw does bode well for how his shooting should come along with a little more help there in Detroit. Yeah. I mean, if you look at his stats after the all-star break, a 20 game sample size. So, and you know, some teams are playing out the string at that point. So it's always dangerous to read too much into this, but for rookies, especially like, especially a guy like Cade, who, you know, the ankle injury slowed him down early in the season, uh, 21 points, six and a half assists, almost six rebounds, shot almost 46 from the field. Like he really seemed to come into his own toward the end of last season. And I think, you know, yes, they lost Jeremy Grant, but bringing in 
Ivy, Duran in particular, gives him that nice young group to build around. And, you know, Bagley actually had some good chemistry with him too. So I'm with you in thinking, like, you know, I looked at their over-under uh, for wins right now on FanDuel is 28.5. So, sure, I guess they could surprise and win 35, even 40 games. It, it is hard for me to see them, as you mentioned, like competing with the nine top clear clear top teams in the East, and that's not even including a Washington or the Knicks or the Hornets who – you know, one of those teams will be in the play-in tournament most likely. Um, I think Detroit's like a year or two away from really surging into that conversation, but I'm super excited to see what Cade has in store this season based on how he finished last year. And then let's go into these two rookies because Ivy, when, when the lottery happened, um, it seemed like there were kind of a clear top four in the draft and I be one of them, but then you looked at the Kings roster and you think, yeah, maybe they're not going to go with him. And they, they did in fact go with Keegan Murray and you, and you think like, man, if they don't go with Ivy at four, like Detroit is going to run to the podium and turn Ivy's name in. Cause like, he just seems like the perfect backcourt compliment to a guy like Cade, you know, a guy who is, like Cade can handle the primary playmaking, but Ivy can be a secondary playmaker. He's so quick in transition. So Cade's going to hit him with a ton of look ahead passes. How do you see that backcourt uh, working long-term? Yeah, I think, you know, theoretically it should work great. I think I may just be scarred from Pistons lottery rookies of the last few years and the <laughs> Killian Hayes thing with yeah. Ivy. I almost have a little bit of concern there, but I think where that where they were at in the draft and him falling, I do think it was a no-brainer and I you know, you look at that position for them and just around the league, I think it, it's generally it can just be difficult to find good point guard play unless you are able to draft it. Like there's just you know, you can trade for a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, which obviously the, the Pistons weren't going to do that. But I think true point guards, it, they're just not a super available commodity above a certain level. Like you can always sign. They have Corey Joseph, I think, on this roster. Like guys like that, but that's kind of different. So taking a swing and trying to get that plus creator at the one play to pair with Cade Cunningham, I think is really smart. And, you know, you look at a wing, we'll talk about um, Mathurin with the Pacers in a second or Mathurin. But... You know, you can always use more wing players, but I think for looking at a team who they're taking swings, that's pretty much their whole roster right now is guys like Kevin Knox and Marvin Bagley, who, again, I think that contract they signed him is insane, but maybe, right. maybe it'll look like a bargain in two years. Who knows? Um, but it, I think right now you need to develop Cade. That's kind of priority one. You need guys around him, too. You want to compete, but their ceiling is going to rest on what Cade Cunningham can do. And I mm -hmm. think giving him a point guard, a partner in the backcourt there who can make his life easier is probably the best thing you can do for a young initiator at the two, three position like he is. So I think it makes a ton of sense. I think it's a good swing. Not super familiar with Ivy yet, but I'm excited to watch him this year. It seems like those two will really be able to have some fun moments and put a lot of pressure on defenses with the athleticism and the skill between them. Yeah. And then, you know, if we're talking about developing Cade and Ivy, giving them a pick and roll partner like a Jalen Duran is also only going to help both of them out 
Um, and you still got Sadiq Bey on the wings for some spacing as well. Uh, the Bagley thing I do want to get into because uh, I, I had a feeling when you brought up like the one of three decisions that left you scratching your head, giving Bagley that contract was probably the one you were thinking of this offseason. Um, you know, he, he's basically had the same numbers, like remarkably consistent over his four years in the NBA. Pencil him in for like 14 points, seven rebounds, a half a steal, a half a block per game, not a high volume three-point shooter, not a good three-point shooter. Um, but, you know, maybe he's only 23. Like there's still a lot of time. And now that he's not on the Kings and, you know, has these two point guards or whatever, whatever you want to call Cade, two, two ball handling guards who can set him up maybe things do actually work out for him and he he lives up to some of the pre-draft hype what do you what do you think is uh, a realistic expectation for Bagley this year 14 points seven rebounds uh, <laughs> no, the, the interesting thing with Bagley and I don't hate I don't hate them to like I think like I think Kevin Knox is just bad and I think I mean sure yeah. him for three million a year maybe he finds something he is a super athletic wing player doesn't really accomplish anything else but he is a super athletic wing player and you know, maybe he can be as good as Hammy Diallo is someday. Probably not, but maybe. But, like, that's two years, $6 million. That's fine. It doesn't matter. I just thought whatever. I don't remember the contract offhand, but it's like three years, 28 or something like that. No, maybe more. Maybe like three years, 30, 32 for Bagley. And maybe it mm-hmm. still won't matter because they don't have a lot of high, especially after trading Jeremy Grant. They don't have a lot of big contracts, especially big long-term contracts. You know, this will be over by the time you're looking at Cade's second deal. It's probably not going to put much, if any, of a squeeze on the Pistons. Just seems like an overpay for a guy who is at this point a flyer and a flyer that I don't think many teams in the league, you know, so few had cap space. They obviously had his bird rights. I don't know how many teams are packing up the MLE for Marvin Bagley at this point. So (laughs) I just thought from that perspective, it was just a strange kind of resource allocation, but it just might not matter that much to the Pistons over the next few years. You know, I think he could look good. It's interesting that they also have Jalen Duran. They have Beef Stew, who I really like, who is certainly undersized, but kind of a 4-5 or five player. They have Nerlens Noel now, who it sounds like they want to keep and use. But it's, it's actually getting a little bit crowded there in the front court, and I think they still have Kelly Olynyk as well, um, mm-hmm. at least on the B-ball ref ro- roster. That may not be updated. Getting a little crowded there, though, on the front court, especially I, I do see Sadiq Bey as probably closer to a 4 than a 3, can certainly play both, though. So it'll be interesting to me how much Bagley plays, how much Jalen Duran plays. I know they want to bring him along a little slowly. You know, does a guy like Nerlens Noel get squeezed out of the rotation here? Maybe mm-hmm. just because their their priorities are longer term than Nerlens Noel will be on the Pistons. But, you know, I think taking the flyer on Bagley and these guys is a relatively good move because if you find a rotation player, you can keep him around. You know, that that's good for the team. And it's also outside of just the benefit of having the player. I think that kind of stuff is a good look for like free agents who are considering somewhere who see, oh, you know, Marvin Bagley really rehabbed his career image in Detroit. I would like to do that. And then maybe that opens up some more doors for you. Maybe that's why it was worth it to them just to sign that contract. Um, But I'm not overly excited. Like I think a team we'll talk about in a minute here, the Pacers, like I'm more excited about them getting Jalen Smith and keeping him around after the Suns casted him off than I am about the Pistons and Bagley. I just think, it's fine, but he's probably not even a top five or six young player I'm excited about here in Detroit. 
which yeah, may just that, speak to how many guys that they took swings on. That's a good point about just like using him almost as a recruiting tool moving forward uh, at, in terms of repairing your reputation and helping him get paid and maybe having guys like Cade and Ivy, you know, like, especially if you're a big man, having playmakers who can actually set you up and get you the ball will make Detroit more appealing moving forward. Um, you brought up Nerlens Noel and he, he and Alec Burks are my last question about Detroit. Cause as you mentioned, you know, Troy's obviously very early into this rebuild. Um, these guys are just not on the same developmental timeline at all. Do you think they are at least, you know, like it seems like they're going to go into the season with these guys on their roster, barring any more Woj bombs in the next few weeks here. Um, but do you think they're going to be, you know, shopping those guys ahead of the trade deadline and listening to offers? Cause they both have, they're both on very reasonable contracts. Burks is 10 million this year. 10.5 next year club option. And then Nerlens is 9.2 this year, 9.7 million next year, also a club option. So like relatively easy to salary match for both guys, even for contenders. Uh, and I think both would presumably still have value. Yeah, I would. I think the nice part about them both being club option guys is Detroit, like with Jeremy Grant, can slow play it as much as they want to. So I think both guys probably play, you know, I think Dwayne Casey's a guy who wants to let the vets play and make sure the young players earn their minutes, which is, a, I think, a good way to, they're not going to be good either way, right? But I think that's a good way to bring players up and to have them earn the minutes. I think that's the right way to do things. Shouldn't be too hard for Detroit's young players, but, you know, I think Alec Burks especially, Alec Burks can play, and I think he is yeah. a guy who is going to get to look pretty good there kind of that more off-ball role around the young distributors we've talked about, you know, I think he might play a pretty important role for them. I don't think that will make him indispensable. I think both guys are going to be very available around February, but it seems like the Pistons, the way they operate, is they don't ever really go into a, a season or a trade deadline saying, we need to move these vets. I don't think they care that much. I think they would be fine if they carry through, especially because they could just exercise the options and do this all again next year with Burks and Noel if they are playing well. But I, I think they're, those guys are going to play for Detroit, and I think it'll be up to other teams. You know, Do you want to wow the Pistons with an offer for Alec Burks? If you do, you can go get him. If not, I think they're going to be fine keeping him. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's go to Indiana. You mentioned the other team in this division that is very much in the midst of a rebuild after trading Sabonis for Tyrese Halliburton uh, at the trade deadline. 
Giants offseason. They traded uh, Malcolm Brogdon this offseason for a package, including Aaron Neesmith, uh, Daniel Tice, and a first-round pick as well. Tyrese Halliburton is clearly the headliner of this roster right now, someone who I am just infinitely excited that we get to read uh, Mark Schindler and Caitlin Cooper write about this year because both of them are great, and Tyrese Halliburton is super fun. So what do you expect out of him going into his first full year in, in, in Indy? Yeah, I think I'm very excited about this to the fact that Halliburton clearly showed that the Kings got a steal when they drafted him pretty much right away, um, mm-hmm. which probably needed to do. He was you know, not the youngest rookie, although not, certainly not old. He's, what, 22 now. Um, but I think he kind of needed to be a guy who came in and played well right away, and he did, but never got the keys in Sacramento. And I think whether it was determined by the Kings just liking Fox more or the trade market liking Halliburton more, seemed like he never was going to get the keys. So I think this is a really kind of fascinating gambit by Indy as part of this rebuild to basically be able to say it's your team right now, but maybe it won't be forever. You know, maybe we will end up with the number one pick based on how the lottery balls bounce. It's yeah. it's almost a no-risk maneuver for Indy to really see what you can get out of, you know, what if we just literally do this thing so Tyrese Halliburton can look great. And it's not like they're not trying to win the players win games or, or certainly Rick Carlisle, but obviously organizationally, they're not pushing that hard to win games. And they may be a lot worse if they end up trading Turner and Buddy Heald for Russ or some such thing, which then it's like, okay, now this is just like a dumpster fire. I think right now <laughs> they could actually be like their personnel, I think is, is somewhat intriguing. They're not going to be good, but Halliburton, Matherin, Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, like they could have some fun lineups. You know, they could, they could make some yeah. teams work for the win at least. Um, but I think it's a great gamble for Indy to sit here and say, you know, we're rebuilding. We're going to uh, kind of similar to Detroit. We're just going to take a, a look at a bunch of guys and we're going to let Tyrese Halliburton run the ship and see how much can you do? Cause young players don't always get the opportunity to really control an offense, be that guy. I think Tyrese Halliburton is probably not going to be a player who, you know, is your best guy in a championship team, but mm-hmm. I'm fascinated to see how much he can approximate that and how he looks for Indy this year. Cause I think the, what he does already, he seems like a perfect complimentary piece. So whether it's, you know, their lottery pick this year or next year, who, whenever they can bring in another, you know, a plus young player, I think they're going to feel really good about sliding him in next to Halliburton, who to me is one of the most adaptable and easiest to fit young guys in the league with what he does on and off ball and as a solid defender. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he as the number one clear focal point in, in the trade deadline averaged almost you know, 17 and a half points, almost 10 assists per game shot 50.2 from the field, 41.6 from three on relatively high volume, 5.3 attempts per game, almost 85% from the free throw line as well. Like I am just so excited to see this dude cook. I think he's going to put up all-star caliber numbers. I don't know if he's going to actually make the all-star game one because I don't think Indy's going to have a record that would justify having an all-star. And, you know, now, especially after the Mitchell trade, like you look at the East, you know, at most you can have six all-star guards. You can have the two starters, the two reserves, and then both wild cards. Let's say they go to the guards. You're going to have to whittle down a field 
including Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Drew Holiday, Bradley Beal, LaMelo Ball, Zach Levine. We'll, you know, even if DeMar DeRozan gets shoved to forward, Fred Van Vliet, Halliburton, Cade Cunningham, like it is just going to be absurd to pick six guys at most from those. So I don't know if Hallie's getting an all-star spot this year, but it wouldn't shock me if he plays that caliber of a level. And you're absolutely right. Between, you know, Matherin, they have Chris Duarte, their lottery pick from last year, uh, Heald Turner. Like, they do have some pretty interesting personnel right now. We'll see how it lasts. Uh, so let's let's go into the uh, Heald and Turner stuff before this inevitable Woj bomb drops because it's it's coming any minute now. I can feel it. Um, you know, what? how do you see that saga resolving? Do you think they end up trading those guys for Russ? Or do you think, um, you know, the Lakers might pursue a jazz package instead? In which case, what what do the Pacers do with, you know, Miles Turner, who's heading into last year's contract and I feel like has been in trade rumors since the minute he signed it. And Buddy Heald still got two years left. It's a descending deal. So $21.2 million this year and $19.3 million next year. Both of these guys should have a lot of trade value. It's like, I guess from Indy's perspective, what would you be prioritizing in, in a trade for those guys? You know, I think if it was me, I would probably look more toward draft picks, which is, it seems like, at least in the constant leaks we get about the Pacers and Lakers conversations. It seems like their sticking point is that second first. Although that may just be, I think a little bit of that is determined too by them kind of being stuck dealing with the Lakers because there's not that many teams who are looking to move $40 million in salary right now. And LA clearly is very incentivized to do that. Um, but I think it's smart for them to look at the, look at the Lakers thing and say, Russ is expiring, right? And they, they're nowhere close to the tax. So whether they send him home or he plays, whatever, doesn't really matter ultimately in the grand scheme. You know, if you can get two Lakers picks where LeBron is where he's at age-wise, Anthony Davis is where he's at injury-wise, you know, Lakers have not had an inspiring moment really since the, you know, since they won the championship and they did win a championship, but ever since then, it's been a pretty steady downhill <laughs> motion, I think, uh, exacerbated by the Russell Westbrook trade. Um, right. So, you know, I think you'd feel good about having two future Lakers picks, but I do think Indy is, you know, this is the most teardown they've ever done and they mm-hmm. still have Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte. I, I don't think, I don't think they would ever go as far as like the Jazz are right now, at least under the current ownership group, to say, no, we'll tear it down to the studs. Like We'll trade Tyrese next year. We'll trade everybody and just get all the picks, bunch of rookie players, essentially, see what we've got and go from there. Like I don't think they want to go that far. So I think if the Lakers thing does fall through, which, you know, Utah is interesting. I think if the Lakers don't work something out with Utah, I don't know what else they do besides work something out with Indiana. I, yeah. I love Darvin Ham, former Bucks coach, and I know he continues to say, we will work with Russ. I think he would if he had to. I don't think the Lakers really want to do that, nor should they. So I think if you can't work out the Lakers trade, let's say Utah swoops in and, you know, Boyan and whatever else, and they just take one pick or something, then it's, I think you probably have to break those guys up and trade them separately with, 
the first one having to be Turner just because of his contract status and not wanting to lose him for nothing. And they could just keep these guys, but it doesn't seem like they're all that enamored by Miles Turner, by them trying to trade him, or at least him being <laughs> right. in trade talks every year. Um, and I think you could maybe find a buyer, but it, it's very interesting to me that they wanted THT, who I kind of saw as like neutral value. Um, yeah. And I think that, again, just speaks to like, they want players at least as much as picks. It's just being in this situation with the Lakers they're kind of taking what they can get. It's weird to me that like the salary dump of Tice was included as something they were interested in. I yeah. don't know why they care. I just looked, and unless there's something off, they have like 54, 56 million in luxury tax space right now. So I'm not really <laughs> right. sure why they wouldn't just like tell Daniel Tice to go home. Like they just don't want to pay seven million dollars, I guess, or whatever the number is, eight point seven million. Excuse me. Um, but I, I think, you know, I think they should try and trade those guys separately if the Lakers thing does fall through. I would not take Russ back for only one. Actually, I don't know. Would you? Would you take one Lakers first and Russ for those two? No. I would, I I would demand I both. Don't, I think I would demand both. I would think about taking one if push comes to shove. Because I'm just not sure what my market for Miles Turner is elsewhere. And I don't yeah. know. I'm pretty indifferent on Buddy. I, I don't know. You could probably get two first if you break them apart, but it's going to take longer, and you just don't know when it's going to happen. But theoretically, the Pacers shouldn't be in that much of a rush outside of Turner being expiring because, like, there's nothing going on here urgently. They don't need to duck the tax. They don't need to create cap space or anything. So I suppose it's probably best for them to hold off and make sure that they're happy with the return. But Russ isn't expiring. It's just really not that onerous for them. So that's, I think, the interesting part about that conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point about, like, if the Lakers fall through, where do you trade Turner? Because, like, there is kind of a hard deadline February, or, or you risk losing him for nothing. And, I, I mean, I think there should be teams interested in him. You know, maybe because he's an expiring, it'd be tough to get. Like, I, you're not getting a fully unprotected first. If it's not from the Lakers, you're not getting one. Um but, like, would you be okay with taking a lottery-protected first from another team if you think you can also get another first for healed either this year or next year and you don't have – you know, I know it's no big deal because they're so far under the tax, but, like, you still probably don't want to be paying Russ $47 million not to play for you this year or, like, I would assume they just buy him out at that point. Um I'm I like there. I think Charlotte, Washington could be interesting potential landing spots there. Potentially uh, the Bucks, depending on how ooh. Lopez's last year goes. I mean, that's Bucks fans are very bitterly divided on how they feel about Miles Turner, but certainly could be an option there too. Toronto as well. I know has been yeah. flirting with adding centers, and I guess he he's one inch too tall for them right he's six <laughs> ten two inches too tall he's six eleven oh never mind yeah. i take that back he's huge uh, yeah <laughs> um yeah i mean they're they're in a really interesting spot because they there's no huge rush here and you know I, i'm with you in thinking like the pacers aren't going to go full 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 tear down but they shouldn't like there's no reason to tear down and trade tyrese halliburton you have him for two yeah. more years on a rookie contract then he's a restricted free agent like you've got seven more years worth of team control on him just let him be the face of your franchise because i think he has that potential um 
Last question on the Pacers before we move to your beloved Bucks. Aaron Neesmith came over in that Malcolm Brogdon trade. Didn't have a ton of opportunity uh, in Boston just because they were in win-now mode and he's buried behind you know Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Like You're not going to bench those two guys very often, especially for a developmental prospect like Neesmith. But they took him, I believe he was a lottery pick two years ago. Yeah, he was the 14th overall pick. Um, the shooting hasn't really translated from college yet, but again, it's like a really small, it's played 1200 minutes in total over the last two years combined. Like this is still a pretty small sample here. So do you think there's a chance that he pops in Indiana and we, you know, reevaluate that trade? I remember when it came out, it was a lot of the reaction was like, that's all it took to get Malcolm Brogdon. Like, is there a chance that Neesmith makes us reevaluate that and say like, oh, actually Indiana did pretty well here. I don't know if we would totally reevaluate it. Just, I mean, people will because that's how Twitter post trade analysis works. Obviously, you should have known Aaron Neesmith was going to be a, a star player. Um, you know, he's had some chances to play. He's had actually, you know, you look at his like game logs over the time he actually played a lot of minutes, and I think it's like you know not many games, like eighteen games where he's played twenty minutes or more in two seasons. But you know, scored in the teens a few times on some pretty efficient shooting. Like as a rookie, the two times he played thirty minutes, he shot fifty percent in one game, seventy eight percent in the other, and averaged fifteen and a half points. So you know, I think there's something there. I think he's a guy who can play. I just think, as you mentioned. With Boston, he was not going to crack the rotation. I still think it's kind of an uninspiring return for Brogdon, but I also think maybe even more than Turner or Heald, you really had to find a team who has specifically had the salary to send and who is willing to roll the dice on Brogdon, who's just been, you know, the injuries are such a big story for him. And I still think the Bucks should have not just essentially given him away when they did to Indy. But mm-hmm. the people who were pro that move... I, you know, maybe not born out right, but certainly it was, if anything, closer to right than wrong, given he's just not been available when Indy was a team making the playoffs to play in those playoff games. So I think despite, you know, Brogdon at his best when he's healthy is quite a dynamic player, but I do think it's hard to convince a team who's not in contender all win now mode. And there's only so many of those teams and they only have so much salary to trade that they should give up a huge haul for Malcolm Brockton. So, you know, I think it's not, I still think it was not a great return for Indy and, and it was a great trade for Boston to make either way. But Neesmith, it wouldn't surprise me if he came along in Indy. It seems like they've had some luck developing guys on their second team. I think Jalen Smith kind of popped there. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him play well, although, you know, I, I don't expect anything drastic. And if we do see if he really pops, then maybe you look at that trade and go, oh, that was actually a great trade for Indy. Mm-hmm. But I think just looking at like the percent chance that he does, whatever you think it may be, probably below 50 that he really pops into a plus player, it's probably worth yeah. a gamble for them anyway, given where they're at. Yeah, take a flyer on him. And they got a pick, too. I think it was lottery protected. So like yeah. that, that's probably the big prize. But, you know, why not take a flyer on Neesmith? And, you know, Halliburton is such a good passer that he might be able to elevate a lot of these guys, as we saw, you know, with Cade and... Uh, Bagley in Detroit last year and we frankly saw it with uh Jalen Smith last yeah. year who they re-signed on a really good contract it's gonna be you know a, a piece of business that will fly completely under the radar because the Pacers aren't going to be that great this year but like it was three years 15 million like that's it's going to be one of the best under the radar signings of the summer I think yeah 
one last thing on the Pacers. I wonder if they're a sneaky candidate to if the if the Russ thing falls apart and there's no obvious trade partner for Turner. I wonder if they slide him a year extension and try to kick the can down the road Ooh. there. Yeah, like under so it's not not too much of a raise, so they could still trade him whenever. I don't know mm-hmm. how how much he would want to do that. It seems like he just likes to make TikToks, play basketball, so maybe <laughs> he wouldn't care that much. But maybe he just wants to hit free agency. I don't know. Um, yeah. But that's something I was thinking about too as we were discussing their their timeline there. Yeah, no, that's a good call. All right, let's wrap up with your Milwaukee Bucks, Ty. As you mentioned, uh, didn't do a ton this offseason. Drafted Martin and then signed Joe Ingles uh, with the taxpayer MLE. But other than that, we're just running it back. We re-signed Brooke Lopez. Um, and am I forgetting anyone that they re-signed? Uh, they re-signed Wes Matthews, Javon Carter, oh, yes. and then... Pat opted in, and then they signed him an oh, extension right. after that. So they have him certainly below market for a year, and then I would argue still below market after that, but they have him locked up for the next few years too. Yes. Yeah, that was also a really good man. Uh, yeah, Wes Matthews was nice too. Uh, so let's talk Ingles first because he's coming off the ACL tear and not going to be ready for the start of the season, I believe. But should – you know, I imagine they will just ease him in as the regular season progresses, but the goal will be let's have him healthy, ready to go by the playoffs. What does he bring that the Bucks have lacked in recent years, if anything? Yeah, I think it's the playmaking and the pick and roll handling from that wing position. I mean, obviously their their main three guys can certainly do that, and Giannis, Chris, and Drew wanted to see more of it from Grayson Allen. I think there's times when he looks like, oh, he's a really capable pick and roll ball handler, offensive initiator. He just goes quiet. I don't know if it's more on the Bucks or more on him. It's kind of frustrating given that, again, there's just some games, especially I think it was when Chris got COVID early in the season, he really popped. Like Grayson stepped in, carried a huge offensive load. It's like, oh, this is going to be excellent. It just falls off sometimes. So I think having a more steady playmaking presence in Ingles with some shooting you know, could make a big difference for this Bucks team, who I love Wes Matthews, certainly. But not not giving you this flashes offensively where he does something awesome, but it's like once a game at this point, which is fine given how much he does for them defensively. And Pat Connaughton had like this randomly really nice pick and roll sequence where he passed the honest. And I was like, can he do this now? And he didn't do it again. <laughs> so we'll see if there's more of that. But Ingles certainly more than any of those guys. That's, I think, the difference maker is his ball handling. I think that's something we haven't seen too much of from the auxiliary pieces on the Bucks. Even someone like George Hill you know, second buck stint George Hill is not doing that much on ball, certainly not Javon Carter. So I think that's the interesting thing is how much can he grease the wheels offensively? If he shoots, that's nice. If he can still defend, that's an added plus. We'll see. I mean, obviously the, the injury for him is going to be a big deal. The The early reports are hoping to work him in around Christmas time, which I think that'd be good with me. That's not too late in the season at all. And, you know, all the nagging injuries that pop up for this team over the years, he'll probably be able to step in and it won't be too hard to find him minutes to get rolling. So excited to see how he fits. I'm not sure how it's going to look. The last time they added, I'd say someone known for being a pick and roll ball handler was DJ Augustine and it was a disaster. But I think (laughs) Joe Ingles at the wing and the other stuff he should be able to do, hopefully, will make him a much better fit than, than DJ Augustine was for this team. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Marjan Bochamp. Uh, what 
I mean, he's going to be in somewhat of a similar situation as a guy like Neesmith, where you know, the Bucks are very clearly in win-now mode. How much of a role do you expect him to play this year, if any? Yeah, I think he's going to play. Um, there's, I think, a perception out there that Bud just won't play young guys. And it's somewhat true. I mean, we saw Javon Carter in, in the playoffs when, when George Hill, I, I would say, got healthy. I don't think he was healthy. But when he was able to play again and, and did return, Javon Carter's minutes went away. But, you know, you look back at Dante DiVincenzo, he played a lot his rookie year for a good mm-hmm. Bucks team. And I thought, I remember having a conversation with someone on the Bucks staff, and I kind of alluded to like, oh, yeah, I'm sure we'll see Dante down here in, in the G League because I cover their G League team games. And they were like, oh, I don't know about that. And no, I think he's played like four or five games there total, maybe seven over his Bucks career. And they were pretty much all like injury rehab stuff. It was never him getting totally squeezed. So I think the Bucks are deeper now than they were then. But I still think, I mean, that was a team, I think Brogdon was around still uh, on Dante's rookie year. And he played. So I think early in the season, it'll almost work out well for Bochamp that Ingles won't be there right away. And now Chris Middleton had to get surgery to address an injury. So he may not be back right away. We'll see. It should be around the start of the season. But if his minutes are a little limited early, that creates a little bit more of an opening for Bochamp. I think they're going to give him a chance to play. I think the Bucks really like him. I do believe it that they were considering trading up for him if they'd have to. I think an older rookie certainly feels like a great personality fit with the team. His athleticism should be nice for him. I think he'll get those minutes early. What he does with them will determine how much he plays later in the season. Probably the shot being the big one because it looks like he can defend right away, which is, you know, similar to Dante. That's what will keep a young guy in the rotation for Bud. So if the mm-hmm. defense is there and the shot is there. I think he'll play all year. Otherwise, we'll see, you know, how Ingles looks and, and how Bochamp looks early on. So Brooke Lopez is heading into the final year of his contract. You brought up. Miles Turner earlier, which I thought was interesting. What do you think happens with Turner, especially knowing they just re-signed Bobby Portis to this big deal? Yeah, you know, I, I think Brooke will be around after this year. Maybe I just hope so. Um, but the Bucks in this era of, you know, Giannis, starting before but really around, like, the championship core, have preached continuity. And outside of P.J. Mm-hmm. Tucker, who I think they regretted not bringing back, although – you know, now as he continues to get older, that regret will probably start to fade a little bit at some point, although he certainly would have helped this past season, put that aside. Um, I, I think, you know, whether it's giving Drew the big contract, giving Bobby Portis the big contract, uh, Pat Connaughton extra years, you know, Wes is brought back. I still would not surprise me to see a Chris Middleton extension before this season, although we'll see. He also could be a free agent. I would not expect him to leave either, you know, for no other reason than maybe for the Bucks it gets really hard to replace these guys if they if anyone goes in free agency now, as they saw with PJ. They had no no way to replace him as a player with the way they lost him. So I, I think they'll find a way to keep around Chris and Brooke for a while, but I think the interesting thing now is I think they like having a true center next to Giannis. Giannis can mm-hmm. play some at the five. I don't think they want him to do that full-time ever, and I don't think Bobby Portis is the replacement center. I think he is, you know... A capable player, offensively especially, who does a lot of things well. 
I think that now the Giannis Bobby front court is going to be a huge thing to watch given the contract that they gave Bobby Portis. And I think that the sample is mostly good, although it didn't work that well against Boston. Chris obviously being out factors in there. But I do think they're going to need to find a Brook replacement at some point. And I think they're going to want to do that. So, you know, they have Serge on the roster, Serge Ibaka. That's not the long-term replacement for anybody. Yeah, sure. So I think, I think they'll find a way to keep Brook for at least one more season. But I think eventually we're going to see them bring in somewhat of a younger player. And maybe if it's Turner, they won't keep Brook around for another season because he's ready to step in and play. But if it's a younger, less proven player, I think then you probably want them on the roster for a year with Brook. I was hoping that would be this year, but the Bucks did not make that sort of move, although they were rumored to like Walker Kessler. And there was a rumor they were going to bring over Yorgos Papianis, former king, who's oh. become a nice player over in Europe. But they signed Serge like a week after that report. So oh. it was kind of so much for that. Yeah. So you brought up the Boston series last year and at the risk of pissing off Boston fans, which I don't actually care about. Um, do you think the Bucks win that series if Middleton is healthy? And building on that, you know, we, we talked earlier about like where the Cavs stack up in the East. Who do you think is the best team in the East right now? Is it Boston or is it Milwaukee? Um, I, I think the Bucks probably would have won, and I, and I do think it's Milwaukee. And, I mean, that's just the way the playoffs go. I mean, the Boston fans will tell you that, you know, Robert Williams was hampered and missed time in that series. I will counter that. I think maybe he could have played a little more toward the end of that series, and Boston smartly realized that giving Brooke Lopez a shelter on defense was not worth playing Robert Williams and at least where he was at getting what he gives you defensively. I think that is mm -hmm. what turned the series was Lopez just had nowhere to go. When Grant Williams and Al Horford are hitting shots, the, the Bucks just couldn't keep up anymore. So, I, I mean, I think, you know, you look at how many close games there were in the middle of that series and just how wore out the Bucks were by the end of Game 6 and Game 7 that – I think Chris Middleton totally changes that, totally changes how guys like Portis and Grayson Allen look on the offense when they're asked to do less, totally changes how much Giannis and Drew Holiday have to do offensively too. I mean, you're talking about, you know, their primary shot creator in a lot of ways that won them a championship last year. And you could say that's Giannis too, but, you know, play initiator with Giannis, however you want to say. They're, they're big mid-range shot maker. And I just think they didn't have quite enough to make up for being without him, which, you know, in a lot of... It's kind of fair. I mean, would Boston have had enough to make up for Jalen Brown not being there or Marcus Smart? Marcus Smart did miss some time, but then played a big role later. So um, I, I think they would have won. And I think going into next season, assuming Chris is healthy and now he's had you know another injury, that is probably your biggest concern for the Bucks right now. It's just health in a general sense. Is Brooke Lopez mm -hmm. able to stay healthy? Chris Drew, Giannis go down the line. But I think if they if they are reasonably healthy, I think they should be the favorite in the NBA just because. You know, we saw him get through Kevin Durant in Brooklyn last year, go beat the Suns in Phoenix a couple of times. We've seen them hang with Boston without Chris, and I think the Celtics got better. But, you know, I think there's a chance Milwaukee's better, even not factoring in Chris's health next season too, especially if Beauchamp can come in and play or if Ingles gives you much of anything because they didn't really lose anyone out of their rotation. So uh, I think they should be favored. I mean, I haven't said his name yet. It really all comes down to Giannis, who... Yeah. I think he's the best player in the world and kind of an unstoppable force. I mean, it really takes a whole team at this point to contend with him. And if Chris and Drew are around, I think the Bucks have just enough around him to outlast anybody. I think it will be outlasting. I don't think they'll, like, sweep through the playoffs. But that's the way they like to win, and I think they'll be able to do that again if they can stay healthy.
Yeah, I mean, the the good thing in one sense about the Middleton injury is I'll give, you know, if he's not ready for the start of the regular season, it will give some of these other guys a chance to get their feet wet, especially someone like Beauchamp, um, which, you know, that maybe that regular season experience pays off if they need to uh, call upon him in the playoffs. Also, like, there's a chance that they just get off to, you know, they don't just, like, storm out of the gates and go, like, 30 and 6 over their first half. And then they're going to fly under the radar. Everyone's going to be talking about what Atlanta looks like, what Minnesota looks like, Boston, Brooklyn, Philly. And Milwaukee's just going to be looming there, like, hey, they're still really good and really dangerous. We should be talking about this team more. But instead, we'll be focused on the Lakers. The Knicks. You know, it, it it just sets up for the perfect Milwaukee season where they're probably going to end up as a top three seed. And it's just going to go completely under the radar. And then they're going to go in the playoffs and just it's like, oh, holy crap. We still don't. No one has a way to stop Giannis. No, despite him, quote unquote, having no bag. Like there's still the build a wall thing doesn't work anymore. He's still completely unstoppable. And if these other guys stay healthy, yeah, I mean, I don't see, I'm not saying the the Bucks are definitely going to win the East, but I think they should very clearly be considered in that top tier. I'm with you. I think they would have won that series last year if Middleton were healthy and it would have changed the perception of both Boston and Milwaukee going into this year. Yeah, the funny thing is there's some I've seen this take a few times that like, you know, Boston was really able to stop Giannis. And it's like he averaged 34, 15 and 7, <laughs> had 340 pieces without Chris, and it was a competitive series through like six and a half games. And obviously, the end of game 7, they totally lost the rope, but yeah. you know, you, no one stops Giannis anymore. I think we're just past that. It's like, can you contain him enough and not let the other guys do enough? Which is how great players work. I mean, you're not really stopping. You know, you look at the list of top players in the league. You're not stopping Jokic. You're not stopping Steph, KD, whatever. It's just about, you know, can you do, make their lives hard enough without letting other guys go off? And I think the Bucks have the defensive personnel to do that better than teams can do that to them. So yeah. it'll probably be ugly again because they still have some half-court issues, but uh, I think their their ceiling is good enough. And they're, like, really the only the only team in the East to have a core that has proven they can win a championship together. I mean, Kawhi left the yeah. Raptors, and obviously the other one's the Cavs, who LeBron's been long gone. So, you know, Boston was, was close and got there. Miami got there and also won two games, but... I think that is a nice little benefit too. the only true core in the East right now who you know, a lot of teams, I'm sure feel this way. The only one who knows mm-hmm. that they know how to go win a championship together. Yeah. And the, the continuity point is a great point as well. Like they, you know, you've still got the core of Giannis Middleton, Drew Brooke from that two years ago, Connaughton and like, you know, now Allen's had a year there. Portis has had two years there. Um, whereas, you know, Brooklyn's going to be integrating a lot of new pieces on the fly. Philly, with at least rotation players, will be. Um, Boston, at least with Brogdon, figuring that out. Like, uh, Milwaukee, it feels like, has less to figure out during the regular season, and it's just keep these guys as healthy as possible. Like, maybe just put Giannis in a bubble in (laughs) mid-March and just give him a month off. Like, just go rest up, bud. We're going to need you to play 40 minutes a game in the playoffs. The best and worst part about Giannis is that, like, good luck 
ever getting that guy. To, <laughs> I know. It, it's so it's so tough. I'm I was pleasantly surprised he wasn't playing in the back to backs as part of the uh, World Cup qualifier <laughs> and Acropolis tournament. I was like, listen, it's fine if Mamu wants to play two out of three days, Giannis. I don't know if you have to go that hard to beat Poland. And thankfully, he has not not played a back to back yet. But we'll see. He has. He plays Friday and Saturday, so maybe maybe that'll change oh, this boy. weekend. Oh boy! All right. Well, I think that is a good place for us to wrap up. So, Ty, thank you again for coming on today. Really appreciate it. One more time, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work? Yeah, totally at Ty Windish, T I W I N D I S C H. If I upset you, feel free to let me know. I think <laughs> Raptors fans, I usually get the worst. I didn't. I don't think I took really? any shots at the Raptors. Oh yeah. It's well, we had. Some bad, some bad blood there for a while, and if we if they meet in the playoffs, I think it'll come back. But um, Heat fans too have certainly taken issue with some things. But sure. um, but no, it's uh, hopefully it wasn't that annoying to listen to. And yeah, gspn.info for Eurostep, our Bucks pod. We have a couple Bucks pods, another Wisconsin sports. So check us out there as well. Yeah, please give Ty a follow. The Bucks will be not interesting to follow all year, but that's what's going to make them so fascinating in April when we all realize, like, oh, crap, they're still here, and they're, <laughs> they're, they're just as good as we thought. Uh, thank you again for following us today. Please follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We're being hosted by Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Tepork, and I was joined by a very special guest, Ty Windish. Ty, have a good weekend. Enjoy Eurobasket. I will be tuning in as much as possible to watch uh, all these guys as well. Should be a, a fun next couple weeks. 100%. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. And uh, yeah, everybody, please subscribe to the NBA pod and drop that crispy five-star review. Yes. All right. Later, man. See ya.